0: You're listening to The Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Southerdon.
1: Are we all off work on a Friday? Is this what we've done? Are we all...
2: (laughs) Is that normal for you? Yeah, my project is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, yeah, no Mondays or Fridays for me.
1: Long weekends for your whole life.
2: Yeah, you say that, but (laughs) it doesn't... It rarely feels like a weekend. (laughs)
1: I've always
2: got, yeah, I've always got meetings or, yeah, and loads of admins catch up on, so.
0: Yeah,
3: and your project is The Garden. It is, Yeah, so I was trying to remember how I first um, sort of saw your name pop up, and I think it was like through Facebook or something, and then I kept kind of, I don't, yeah, probably like one of those, maybe Forest School, chat things and I kept seeing your name come up and every time your name came up I was like oh yeah that's an interesting point oh yeah and then I saw your thing about um well do you know when you meet people online but you don't actually meet them and I don't think we've ever actually even spoken to each other online but then I joined your um self-directed education portfolio group which we'll talk about in a in a bit um and then Lewis and I were talking about what we wanted to pod about and I was like I really want to do some stuff on like democratic education self-directed education and, and I thought but well, that's a really good topic to get somebody in to speak with us from a kind of their point of view and I was like who do I know I was like oh yes ultimate so that's kind of like the backstory as to how you know this forecast ended up um but I'm sure I also saw some stuff about the garden and thought you know you guys are running a sort of similar similar-ish thing to what we're doing um and I see that you're a home educator as well and you yeah. built the project um sort of partially through um, educating your own children yeah. as part of a learning community um can you tell us a little bit about the garden and and what you do
2: yeah of course um uh, <laughs> <What> <laughs> you know, we, we actually don't we actually don't refer to ourselves as democratic anymore interestingly okay okay um, interesting we've moved away from it because we realized that we we don't vote we make decisions by consensus and we Mm -hmm. don't have committees so Mm. actually we're not democratic we're sociocratic but nobody knows what nobody knows what sociocratic means so we're kind of a bit floundering for what we call ourselves at the moment
3: Mm -hmm.
2: um do you want to explain what that means then yeah sure so yeah we we make we um we make decisions by consensus Mm um uh and oh, that's it, oh, that's it really. It's all yeah. about, the, the core of what we do is really about consent. Um, and I'm increasingly using the word consent to describe what we do, because that applies to the learning as well as the like, the social and emotional side of things. It's just, it's all about consent, which is something that I've borrowed from someone called Sophie Christovie. who runs a project called The Cabin, um, mm-hmm. which is another really amazing, really amazing project. Um, there's a sort of a bit of a, in the self-directed education projects community, there's a, a bit of a, um, a, a tug of war, I guess, about what we call ourselves. Yeah. And I'm not particularly interested in the naming of it particularly, but I'm, um, I suppose it is really important that we define what we do in a concise way that we can communicate to people really well. Um, yeah. Democratic worked for a while, but I've, yeah, realised that actually we're not, we're not <laughs> actually democratic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what it what it looks like is that we we have meetings and we spend a lot of time talking about things and making decisions and that the process is more important than the result Mm -hmm. uh, which is as an adult is really difficult because we want to get vision and we want to make things happen and we want to you know and actually but actually i have to constantly remind myself no it's the process that's where the learning is really happening
3: yeah, that's so interesting because I had that exact thought yesterday when, um, so the, the reason obviously you want to talk about this as well is there's a huge overlap with forest school and the kind of forest school principles and ethos. Um, and yesterday um, I had this really long and uh, an adult looking at it would probably describe it as quite tortuous <laughs> discussion about. It felt um, torturous from the outside. It did, it did. So <laughs> what game are we going to play now? So there's definite need and drive from a lot of the, well, you know, all the young people that I was talking to, to play a game. Like we've just played a game and we already enjoyed it. And now we want to play another game. What game are we going to play? And this discussion was so long and had so many little twists and turns and little pathways off into different um, ideas and one person going, hang on, that game we played the other day, but then I got really upset when we played that game. So how can we change the rules and all of this discussion? And as an adult, of course, as you just described, my impulse was like, I just need to solve this problem. I need to solve this problem and I'm the adult, so I should have an idea up my sleeve that I can go, hey guys, we're playing this game and this is going to solve all your problems. But actually, that wasn't what they needed. They needed, as you just described, to talk about it, to listen to each other, to either come to a compromise or not, or to just, the conversation The conversation just sort of ended, didn't it, Lewis? It sort of, mm. sort of fizzled out, but it lasted a good long time. And in the end, you know, I think they all went off in different directions and a game wasn't played. But absolutely, as you say, the learning experience is happening through that space and you holding yeah. that space for them and going, okay... Let's all listen to each other. Um, in your in in your project, um, what's the balance of like adults to children? Like when you're having these meetings, is it usually just like you and the young people, or is it like quite a few adults involved in discussions? Uh
2: so I uh I'm a registered childminder, which uh, the reason why I am is because it means that people can get access funding, help with the funding. So um, Uh, And I work with two assistants. Uh, So there are three adults at the project. Uh, Mm -hmm. We call them mentors. It sort of changed over the years. So it's kind of been like facilitators, mentors. I don't know. I I think we've settled on mentors now.
0: Uh, And there are
2: three of us. And at the moment there are 15 children because that's what we are limited to legally. That's what out of school settings are limited to. So um, that's what what we've got. it's a bit of a grey area with how many we could have, but so it, that kind of makes it easier for us at the moment. Three adults, 15 children, simples. Yeah. Um, yes. uh, we could potentially have more, but at the moment we don't. Um, and I think the role of the adults in those meetings is to um, model more than anything what, what you do in a meeting. And um, there's a chair in our meeting. So there's someone who is holding the space and that rotates around on an alphabetical list of names. So the young people also chair, including the very, very youngest one. So we have five-year-olds chairing meetings sometimes, Um, which is interesting because that's something that I was quite resistant to. I was sort of of the view that we needed to um, have the meetings only chaired by people who are experienced so not necessarily just adults but maybe just the older ones because that's what's common in democratic I think the democratic schools sort of say normally about nine-ish you can start chairing meetings but actually while I had a period when I wasn't working directly at the garden very much I was mainly it was mainly other people who were working directly with the young people for personal reasons and um uh, it was instituted then that the younger anyone anyone of any age could chair the meetings, and they were completely right. And it, it's brilliant, and it's such a great experience for them. We we absolutely have you know five six year olds who completely competently chair these meetings and hold that space brilliantly, which is mm. incredible to see, and it gives them so much confidence that they can do that.
3: Mm. So what wonderful. kind of that is amazing. What kind of things have you had meetings about? recently without obviously going into too much personal information about your learners but what kind of issues are they discussing
2: oh yeah sure so um we I might tell you about this st- how when we do the meetings because that'll kind of lead oh. on to that where we have uh, a meeting every morning before we start and um we always check in with our feelings and our energy levels so we just get people to sort of thumbs up thumbs down or anywhere in between for both of those things and then check whether anybody has any needs around those uh, feelings or energy levels and where we say are you comfortable with your feelings rather than saying are your feelings good or bad because you mm-hmm. can have a bad feeling but still be comfortable with it and vice versa and you know so it's yeah we, we didn't want to kind of put judgment on on any particular feelings um and first thing on a tuesday we will start with what we call a learning circle meeting so it's all about planning what we're going to do for the week um, the young people have uh are assigned a learning mentor who they make individual plans with uh, and they decide what they want to do and how they want to spend their time at the garden and then anything they think anybody else might be interested in joining they will then share in the learning circle meeting so and they'll say i'm going to do this thing does anyone want to join me um and then we can plan more meetings about those particular projects and (laughs) endless meetings (laughs) um so people get very bored in the meetings people are always like when is the meeting going to end but actually that's they go on because people have a lot to say in them <laughs> yeah so you know and um, and um so yeah talking about the making plans um uh deciding how to spend budget is a big one
0: Ooh.
2: So we have a budget for the season that they can spend on whatever they want to. It's a hundred pounds for what we call a season. So that's a block of six weeks. And um, uh, they can spend on that for any projects they're interested in, anything particularly that, you know, they want to get for the garden. Um, And there's a lot of engagement with that. People really enjoy it. And there's a lot of really good, like heated discussion about the budget and how it's going to be spent and a lot of exploration of, of, you know, the, power dynamics involved in that as well which is really interesting um we talk about power dynamics a lot Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: then we so yeah tuesday morning meetings tend to be a little bit longer than usual because we do the learning circle uh and then we have a short meeting on wednesday and thursday morning which is usually just a check-in and then anything really urgent that comes up we'll discuss so it could be ongoing issues um you know anything that's come up that needs to be resolved in, like, in a meeting with the whole community and then Thursday afternoon before we go off for the weekend we have what we call a full meeting and that's where we can um discuss um yeah serious or ongoing issues that we haven't managed to resolve in the week so there might be an issue that's come up about the use of space or about um at the moment a lot of the time it's rough play and boundaries and consent in rough play because that's yeah it's just
3: yeah it's, yeah,
2: it's always a thing yeah Uh, yeah uh, yeah sort of yeah power and power dynamics things where people maybe are feeling left out um and they want kind of the view of the whole community to sort of help them resolve issues um we try to keep it only to either ongoing issues that haven't been able to be resolved or or serious incidents so there might be like a one-off serious incident so if someone got you know like more than just a little bit hurt they were kind of you know really upset by something then that would be something we need to discuss in the meeting but usually we try and do a conflict resolution um during the day so not so we're not spending more time in meetings than we need to so yeah tr- try to resolve it as we go along but if not then we can bring it to a meeting do
1: you find anything comes up in terms of energy levels with like so because reflecting is the kind of forest school equivalent i guess of those end of day meetings um And Gemma and I are always um, banging our heads on the wall might be a strong term, but um, that thing of like, you know the importance of reflecting and sharing at the end of a session and going, okay, let's almost like unpack everything before we go home. Let's, you know, get everything out on the table. But then you combine that with, well, when is that in terms of their energy level? It's at the point where their energy level is at the lowest and their mental kind of the the glucose that we've got in our brains is like all been spent through the day and then at the end of the day to go right okay can we have you doing the least physically active most mentally taxing job right at the end of it it's always really tricky and I think like you we've adapted some of our stuff to do sort of mini check-ins and reflections through the day so we fill up a blackboard of things that we're enjoying or that are tricky um, but is that something that you find as well? With your, is it something your learners adapt to to it being the end of the day, and they know it's coming, so it's it's slightly different? Or you know, how do you manage that energy? I guess.
2: Yeah, it has been a really big issue, and in the past we've discussed moving that that big meeting somewhere else in the week, so it's not at the end of the day. Um, the last, so actually, since I've been really heavily involved again so since September um it doesn't seem to have been as much of an issue um but yeah it is it's definitely an issue but it also feels really important to everyone to have that check-in before we go off for the weekend so I don't know yeah it's a really tricky one and I guess um we do end up sometimes if we can't resolve something on a Thursday because of things like energy levels and people not really being able to engage with it, then sometimes it will roll over to the Tuesday morning meeting.
0: Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Yeah. So do you have somebody kind of minuting
3: those meetings so you remember what's been said? And is that always an adult or how how are those notes taken?
2: Yes we do and at the moment it is always an adult and that's partly because um we're making a big effort with documentation at the moment and trying to be really thorough with our documentation um so for for the adults at the garden it's really important that we have really thorough notes on what's been said um we have had young people minuting in the past um and we might explore that again, particularly with some of the older ones. But I would want to do some sort of one-to-one sort of like training with someone who was up for that to mm-hmm. be able to do that so they knew that it was kind of making sure that everything was really thoroughly covered, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we take... Um, not I wouldn't describe them as minutes. It's more like writing down to keep a record on a, on a blackboard. And our kind of end-of-the-day reflections usually are... Quite quick and so it will be kind of like one or two word lists bullet points whatever on our blackboard and um and yesterday for the first time i think ever one of our learners like decided to lead that reflection and wanted to write the responses on the blackboard and it happened to be a learner who doesn't ever usually engage with writing at all so it was like wow this is really special and then uh, yeah needed a bit of support to um to write those down but it was a kind of like that thing you described about modeling and how sometimes you might think um oh I'd really like more engagement from this group or this person and actually that will come if you're just modeling and modeling and modeling and you might need to model something for you know in this case for this learner two years maybe longer Lewis do you think
0: Um,
3: and that was the day that they decided actually yeah I'm going to do this And it completely came from them. It was nothing about me suggesting, how about you have a go? It was just, hey, guys, let's do what was fun, what was tricky. It's like, whoa, they've got the chalk in their hand. (laughs) It was a really special moment. Um,
2: Yeah, there's a lot of patience involved uh, in this work. And holding our nerve.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's it's holding our nerve, isn't it? But it's also holding, um, like a lot of uh, education I think systems and analysis is is looked at in a very short period of time you know how is your behaviour management within the first two weeks of inheriting a class at school Um, what is your behaviour management like at the end of the year when you hand them over how do the children settle in after um, three weeks at your home ed group and it's really sometimes it's holding up against like the outside the outside world because it's not an us and them situation but holding up and going I really do think this is going to work it's almost like you're constantly going just a little bit longer I know this is going to work I know you know and I'm sure I'd imagine with your work you have sort of a similar thing where you go I know this is going to come out do you have any success stories that you kind of refer to that of children of learners that have gone been through your process and you go they started here and look at what they're doing now
2: yeah loads yeah it's really cool it's a long game it's totally a long game and particularly with behavior um I really don't I, I'm not a fan of the term behavior management because I feel like it just doesn't describe what we do um because we don't use any manipulative like, language at all so we don't use any judgment we tr- we try anyway it's, it's hard to, to get it all the time, but we try never, um, we don't use any rewards or punishments. Uh, we just talk about everything to death, which I think sometimes feels like a punishment. <laughs> 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 but it's not intended to be. <laughs> um, and it is, it's a long game. And sometimes it takes people a, a while to get their heads around it. And particularly if young people are used to being in a manipulative environment, it can take a while to get their heads around. Actually, you're not going to get in trouble. We just want to talk about this and make things better. Mm. Like This isn't about you being in trouble here. Um, but what we find is that after a time, they and they do get it and they relax into it and they understand that's what's happening. What we find is that they come to us. resolve conflict and even people who would be typically regarded as the aggressors in a situation in a different sort of setting and who would be the person who would receive the punishment even that person will seek us out because they actually want to resolve it Mm -hmm. they're not afraid of getting in trouble which is amazing amazing. and they don't Mm -hmm. have sort of you know they're not um what's the word they're not they're not sort of avoiding resolving that conflict which is amazing
3: mm. yeah um what you were just saying reminds me of um a few learners we've had where they've come to our setting um and then obviously everybody's home life is different isn't it and the way that their parents and their family um kind of deal with behavior or um you know things that happen um and some of our learners both historically and and now don't just come to us as a setting they might go to school part-time or go somewhere else and then that's kind of an extra sort of challenge both for us and for them in terms of um, getting to know how things are dealt with here compared to wherever else they've been or at home Um, and over time definitely they relax into it you know children are capable of amazing flexibility aren't they and um, you know because everything's new to them the world is new and so they do adapt to oh I'm here in the woods and this is the approach and they do get it but for some young people it does take a while or if they've just just started school or a new setting Um, and even my own daughter very articulately when she was three or nearly four she was going to a preschool a couple of days a week and coming to our forest kindergarten one day a week (laughs) um, oh amazing (laughs) hi puppy um and she explained to me oh oh hello puppy (laughs) puppy on that um yeah she was able to say oh um preschool is is different to forest school because at um at preschool the adults say don't sort things out yourself. If there's a problem, come and find a grown-up. But at but at kindergarten. People can't mm, see.
1: Artemis is genuinely hiding in their yeah, hands.
3: <laughs> yeah. And but at Forest, you no, know, she was able to say this to me at yeah, either three or four years of age and saying, at Forest School, we we say, stop that, I don't like it. Or we get people to listen to, to us and then if it doesn't work then we find a grown-up you know but it's but yes. I think basically she'd had this experience where she'd gone in to help some of her peers in the classroom at preschool and an adult had seen her do it and said don't do that stop you know you need to find a grown-up and it was interesting that she even was aware of this like difference of approach um, yeah, and she was able to steal. Way to wasn't... disempower
2: someone! That's
3: incredible. It's really weird, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we've always said t-
1: <laughs> that. Like, I have the utmost. Um, I don't think I don't. I can't quite. It's a mixture of um, respect and empathy and sympathy for. Um, in particularly primary schools, mealtime assistants, people that are out on the playground, time, are often the least trained in child development in behavior management in any of these systems that you want to put in but they're in the absolute throes of where does all the play happen where does all the thing happen so I can completely emphasize that if my job is like I go into a school from 12 to 1 and I stand on the playground like we've just said that like getting children to conflicts resolve independently is a really long and difficult process if you are dumped in for an hour a day with a playground of you know 200 students and they've all been cooped up all day I can see how you just fall back on systems like would you just I'll do it because that's the easiest in the short term yeah. so it's that thing isn't it of like we can look at that and go that is not helping those children but I can empathize with the adult in a mealtime it's system. for
2: the benefit of the adults it's not for the benefit of the children
1: mm, yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah
2: which is what a lot a lot of these things that happen are it is for the benefits of the adults and a lot of the assessment and a lot of the pressures we put on children it, it's not for the benefit of them it's for the benefit of the adults so we can say look how look how well we're doing mm. Mm.
3: yeah um, i read about in your um article on medium i read that you mentioned that um you had some research conducted at your project about behavior can you tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah, sure. So a master's student from the University of Bristol came and conducted some research um, specifically around our unconditional approach to behavior management. So not using any um, rewards or punishments. And um, they wanted to have a look at the how complex the moral thinking of the young people at the garden was compared to previous research conducted in schools and what they found was is that uh children yeah young people at the garden had significantly advanced moral thinking compared to the previous research Uh, and what that means was is that when they were given moral dilemmas instead of referring to authority so Uh, a teacher or the police or parents um, or the law or rules they were talking about things in terms of the impacts on the people involved in the moral dilemma so they were really thinking it through with empathy rather than just jumping to what the rules were which is exactly what you want you want them to be having the building a real sense of morality not just like rules equals morality because we know that's not true there's no morality in duty
3: that's amazing
1: And that's what a lot of Alfie Cohn's work is, isn't it? Alfie Cohn's kind of whole thing is about, um, you know, what do children do when they're not being watched? And um, I think in one of, I can't remember which of his books it was in, um, but it really uh, spoke to me in a weird way when he was talking about children that go through school um, dependent on praise uh, or through their childhood, I guess, dependent on praise and sort of reinforcement from someone else and then saying that a certain point you know whether it's higher education or whether it's the working world um and they stop getting re- we stop getting all that praise and stuff and that can be a real jolt for some people and his horror situation in that was like that's when someone slightly nefarious can come in and start praising a child and can get them into um immoral things or you know cr- crime that they might because they're getting the praise and they've been taught that not I mean taught in terms of like conditioned to go that person is praising me and telling me I'm doing a good job that for me yeah, just
2: seeking
3: reward
1: yeah and it means that their
2: sense of their sense of self-esteem is coming from an external source rather than internal and yeah it makes you very easy to manipulate which is yeah not it's not good on a personal level but it's also not I think it's really dangerous on a, a societal level as well
3: Yeah absolutely and if you think about education as uh, preparing young people for a future in which they are successful by whatever means you want to measure success through um, happiness and well-being and um, what they're putting into the world as opposed to just financial reward um, then spending time on those skills is surely more important than um, sort of knowledge-based curriculum stuff isn't it because We can't predict the future, as everyone says, you know, we don't know what jobs are going to be available. We don't know what the world is going to look like when these young people or or if any jobs
2: are going to be available, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Automation is not going anywhere. And most jobs are not going to exist in the future.
1: Yeah. Our forest school Uh, leader's got a while. We're all right.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be (laughs) fine. The World Economic Forum's top 10 employable skills are all creativity, people skills and a little bit of tech that's that's it like like those are the employable skills now and mm-hmm. it's it's not gonna it's only gonna keep going in that direction and things like creativity and people skills are just not what schools do yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. not that. Like those are the two things that you really need to, and creativity isn't sitting down and everyone painting identical a tentacle picture that's not creativity creativity is the freedom to explore your own inner sense of creativity that's what that's what creativity is it isn't it isn't like you know the skills which you can learn at any point which is why we concentrate on the the tools for learning because if you've got, I often say about the garden even if the young people who come to the garden never learn anything else while they were there and of course they learn loads all the time Even if they just left as emotionally secure human beings with good social skills, they're always going to be fine. Like like from a conventional success point of view, they're they're going to be fine. People who have those things do all right in life. Everything else can come and it can come later and it can come at a different time, particularly if they've got really good learning skills. But you can't replace, there's a, you know, there's a window of development for those things that if you miss it, it's gone. It's very, very hard to come back and do those things later.
1: Yeah, especially when, you know, all that neuroplasticity stuff is saying, you know, how adaptable children's brains are and particularly teenagers and kind of deciding what you want your brain to be good at and then going, right, well, I will practice those skills. And, you know, if you need to be sociable, you need to have time to be sociable. Um, Gemma and I were talking yesterday about um, this is so drilled down into like one example. But we were, we, Gemma, you were asking me, you were saying, do you think, the more of a relationship you have with the learners the less well like proffering skills works because when you're new to a group you can kind of go hey guys I think you I think they need to learn how like secateurs work safely so I'm going to get some secateurs out got some activities um, where secateurs might be the thing and if you're really new to a group then that kind of works a bit you've got a bit of kind of just follow the leader I'm the you know, normally the tallest one and the loudest one, I can kind of get through some stuff. And then it's moved now to with some of our learners where they just go, hmm, no? Nah? And they just will walk off, which is great. Yeah. But then they might come back a couple of hours later. And because their project now needs secateurs, now they're interested in it. And now, you know, you can't, you can't sort of manipulate them into go, to going, I think you should learn this. So please learn this you have to wait until their interest needs it and then they'll go okay show me how this works i'm coming to you now sort of intrinsically motivated to get this knowledge skill which is a very different thing you know the outcome is still they've practiced with sectors but the the path was different
0: applications for forest school training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com check out the podcast links for more details
2: when you're when you're when you need to learn something you learn it really quickly and thoroughly so this idea that you need to spend years and years in school being drilled with things it's it's only true because of the way in which school works um if you have a need to learn something so the mass that comes out of creating budgets is fantastic Uh, and yes we do very little sort of writing written sort of the written representation of maths but so I so I last year I did a PGCE a primary PGCE with a maths specialism and I'm really passionate about maths Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's so bad it's so badly done um and what I discovered is is that um and this is uncontroversial at all in maths um pedagogy is that the real world understanding of mass, the relational understanding of mass, so what mass actually is, is way more important than the written, what mass looks like on paper. Yeah. Because yeah. People think that what mass is, is what you write down. And that isn't maths. That's not what's actually happening. It's what's really happening in that. The foundation for being, for understanding mass, really, so you can take it far if you want to, that comes from real world stuff. And so, so my, my oldest is nine. And... She was in school for one year, um, uh, against my wishes. Long story, I won't go into it. Um, And when she first started, she hadn't ever done any formal mathematics. To begin with, she struggled with the formal representation of maths because she was unfamiliar with it. Within a year, she was top of her class for maths. Because she'd had a really firm grounding in that relational mathematics. And her teacher was astonished, her teacher didn't understand why this was happening. She was absolutely mm-hmm. baffled by it. this was at the point where I was doing this math specialism PGCE. And I was like, aha, I can explain to you what this is. And it's because actually that written form, that written form of it can come later and it can come at any time and it can come if they need it and when. Like if they want to go and do a maths GCSE, then they can go and learn that. And because they've got that really good grounding in real world maths, they understand what maths is and how it's used. That can come later. It's not that endless writing out sums. That's not what maths is. Mm.
3: So it's kind of, no, that really interesting um so what kind of so you, you mentioned um talking about budgets and deciding you know those kind of things what other kind of real world maths happens either
2: through your sort of home ed experience or at the garden uh, making shops is really popular mm-hmm. yeah um and the currency is sometimes they make their own money um but often it's the currency is uh, things like crab apples or leaves, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, if there's anything that's a little bit uniform, they'll collect lots of it and then they'll trade in. And sometimes they buy currency with currency, which is really confusing. Yeah, but you yeah. know, it's, I suppose it's you know a lesson in you know how money is just representative of, of you know of a promise. So you know, there's lots of good conversations you can have about the nature of money and what it is and what it isn't and debt yeah. and you know yeah. sparks off. Um, so that's really popular. Um, other kinds of maths there's a lot of geometry as well there's a lot of kind mm. of when you're building stuff and having to measure things and um, uh, another thing that I found really interesting from my PGCE we were told school children primary school children really struggle with time and money and as a home educator I was like what they said yes yeah, the hardest mm. things to teach primary school children I was like this blew my mind because I I don't I don't remember that home educated child that doesn't understand money or time because they're using it all the time. There's no yeah. like, you know, money and time are the two things that my eldest learnt first. Yeah. And that's what yeah. helped her have a really good sense of math was yeah, counting money and using money and, you know, going to the shops and, and because you're out in the world and you're, you're using it and you're doing it and she needed to know the time because we needed to know when we needed to go to our session and, and wanted to know when things were finishing and we were going to go and, you know, all those conversations that build that mathematical understanding that don't happen in school because it's displaced by formal lessons and endless and really involved behaviour management. Mm, yeah.
1: Money is my Let's little, um, is my little uh, selling to other children that come so we have groups that come for home ed and we have groups that come on a saturday and they're school children that's their saturday club um and so sometimes they'll see like something that's been built or some remnants of play and they'll go who's done this no one comes here in the week and i'm like yeah yeah some children come here instead of going to school and one yes. that blows their mind yes. and then two they're like so they don't have to learn anything and i go whoa, 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 whoa. And, st- and, and i go well you know like you sit down on a piece of paper Sit down. You sit down with some paper and you read that thing and it says, um, Sally went to the shop with £2.50. She bought five sweets. Um, how much money did she have at the end of it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we did that this week. Or, you know, oh yeah, we've done that. And I go, right, well, they go to the shop with £2.50 <laughs> and not only do they get the maths, but they get the sweets as well. And they're like, ma, if they could swear, the kids would, I swear they, they would be going like, jammy little bit, you know? which yeah
2: totally you want to sell
1: homemade that's that's the little story
2: <laughs> you know exactly that's the thing it's the, you don't need and and again like in maths they say it's those stories that children really struggle with they might find that doing the sums because they can get the process of doing the sum really easily but because they don't really understand what's happening behind it the the story problems they really struggle with and again i'm like what <laughs> mm. but if you're sitting at
3: a desk there are so many layers of of thinking involved in having a worksheet put in front of you there's so many layers that you have to plow through before you get to the actual maths there right yeah you know exactly yeah you've got to um, control your impulses sit in a chair try and focus try and ignore what everyone else is doing look at the piece of paper read the problem and read it in order and process that look at the weird picture and diagram and then start thinking about what the actual maths is um that that that's kind of
1: um, and there's nothing tangible to move around often I know sometimes they'll give groups like counters or pretend money or something but once it becomes that abstract just read it you like, well that's in the what I suppose that is in the world now we just yeah well, I just put my phone in front of things and then I cry when I see my bank account like that's that's the kind of maths we have now there's nothing physically changing hands
2: yeah it so they are trying so um maths is actually a lot more progressive now in schools than english is um and i was really heartened by like the the curriculum is decided by policymakers which is you know not 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 great um because they have their own agenda um but um the maths teachers and certainly my lecturers at during my PGC where like there's there's ways you can get around it and you can try to make it as real world as you can and as physical as you can um and particularly with sort of the first few years of school like the um, there is a big emphasis on trying to make it as physical and real world as possible within the constraints of the curriculum so I do have some hope English is just flipping lost cause at the moment oh yeah it would be hard for it to be more prescriptive than it is now and the drama um, all of that stuff
1: woo, oh, spag t-
2: it's just ridiculous. Why does a six-year-old need to know what a fronted adverbial is? I no. I just yeah. don't, and I, I cannot understand. If they want to know that, that's great. If they're geeky about grammar, brilliant. Let's go for it. Let's learn all of the grammatical terms. I didn't learn what a fronted adverbial was until I did my PGCE, but I can yeah. well use one. I know how to use one.
1: But Do you think that kind of, that is, I guess, a theme to what we're talking about? kind of all these different aspects whether it's maths or literacy or social and emotional stuff and it's that kind of the view might be that well in school we need to have like three phc lessons phse or whatever it is now lessons a week to practice um you know what do you do when you find a wallet you take it to the police station you know and or to go right they need to have literacy every day um or they need to be uh, having a hundred questions about shops because the perception is that setting up a shop and making money and doing all of that like prep work is like wasted time because you go, well, I can give them the paper and they could answer the question straight away. But you're like, right, but once they get to the maths in a real world or imaginary world context or the social emotional stuff in a play context, it's so much more powerful than the hundred questions will ever be that it then becomes almost that then becomes because they this.
2: learn it like that when they yeah. want to and they're developmentally ready and interested they just learn it like that you don't need endless endless repetition and practicing because they want to do it and they get it first time
3: yeah
2: it's, yeah it's so frustrating and like we, we know we know that reading for pleasure is um uh i'm sort of talking about things in terms of conventional academic success reading for pleasure is the number one indicator of future success in commas um mm-hmm. And yet that's what we know, there's a negative correlation between um, systematic synthetic phonics and the enjoyment of reading and the reading for pleasure basically and yet we still do it because technically they are able to read younger and younger with systematic synthetic phonics technically they can pass those tests yeah great they can do it but the actual enjoyment of reading is going down because it takes the joy out of it we know that reading with children is what they really need instead of literacy lessons I don't understand why we don't just have loving books lessons that's what it should be about reading to and with children and them joining in as and when they're ready and want to loving literature is 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 how you get literacy it just seems so obvious to me Mm. rather than trying to make them technically be able to read earlier and earlier and earlier yeah
1: can i ask uh, just to kind of go because we could i think we could all the three of us could sit here and agree with each other yeah. and put the yeah, whole yeah. World to right, um, which would be very enjoyable, um, but people listening might be like...
2: I could sit here, I could be here for days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can I ask, so I guess one of the things, and if people, anybody's listening and thinking this kind of democratic, sociocratic thing sounds really interesting, but, and I can Im- almost imagine the but, you know, questions coming, um, do you have many experiences where you, so we as forest school leaders, are always weighing up that when are we leaders when are we facilitators um and in the way that you might go well uh, I will let them fail at x because I think that will be valuable or I can see that that's not quite going to work but I can step back um and that's very interesting to watch someone get some woodworking wrong as opposed to getting some social stuff wrong and go you know you can watch someone go they are being a real knobhead I wonder what's going to come out of this or kind of that kind of thing do you yeah. have much stuff in your meetings um, that you sit there? Do you voice things if you go, I don't think that's going to go well? Or do you sit very quietly and go, I'm just going to let them, you know, if you had a group that say said we want a hundred quid and we're going to spend that hundred quid on marshmallows that, just to be the devil's advocate, you know?
2: Yeah. So I definitely do get involved and it's a constant, um, checking in with myself about whether that's the right thing to do i pr- i probably do more than ah. i i probably uh, err on the side of probably doing it more than i should uh because that's my nature uh, and it's something that i have to constantly keep a check on uh rather than because i'm quite a like i I get involved kind of a personality and 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 i have to be so this is one of the reasons why we talk about power dynamics a lot and we talk about all the adults at the garden we talk about our power dynamics with each other and with the young people and um it's a constant reflection basically on whether that's okay whether it's right and we we try to actively encourage uh us being able to um address things with each other so I actively with and especially because there is a power dynamic with the fact that I'm employing my child assistants we we are supposedly you know equals but there is still a power dynamic there Um, and so I, I have to sort of say please 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 if you think I'm not um doing something that's uh aligned with our values please pull me up on it because i'm not going to get it right all the time and we have to be able to have those conversations because i don't i'm not always going to notice when i'm doing something that isn't aligned and i want to be pulled up on it i want to have those conversations and i think it's really good for all of us to practice not being defensive and just going oh yeah i could have done that differently um uh, so i feel like i've sort of avoided the question a little bit <laughs>
1: has it ever come out, though, that there's been a decision that you as an adult can look at and go, "My experience and judgment says that that will not be um, successful, but they need to they need to go through that process of voting something in that's not beneficial to learn from. Um, and sometimes we talk about because our groups are long term and churning through you kind of realise that one group needs to get it wrong, but then that wisdom will get passed through. When those kids are a bit older, they'll pass it on to the younger children without the younger children having to make the same mistake. Do you have that yes. same stuff
2: going on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All the time. Um, and I do definitely sit back sometimes and say, well, actually, I know this. I know I have a really strong feeling this isn't going to work, but I'm not going to I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to just let, let, let you learn that for yourself. Um, and then sometimes I'm really surprised because sometimes it does work. Mm. I'm wrong. I'm not always right. There's a really interesting Uh, example of that with our first ever agreement that we made so we don't have rules we have uh, agreements and they're made by the whole community and the adults don't have more of a say than the children in creating them the only the only exception to that is safety things but you know that's a Mm -hmm. moral and legal duty there Mm -hmm. and um so the agreements are made by the whole community and they're also adaptable and flexible so if they're not working for the community anyone can say right okay I, i'm i'm not a fan of this agreement can we change it or get rid of it or i want to add a new one and and our first ever agreement that we made was uh no sticks in the yurt mm. okay. and i was not in favor of this agreement i just thought you know that was unworkable i just yeah wasn't wasn't gonna work but i was wrong it did. It fixed the issue, which is people getting hurt with sticks in the ert. It just fixed it, and everyone was happy with it. And it's it's still in agreement. It has been for five years. No, no sticks no. in the yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, going
3: kind of linking to what Lewis was just saying about um, uh, perhaps playing devil's advocate against um self-directed education generally, or um, yeah, settings it, where that's possible. So um, obviously the Sudbury School is quite is f- you know famous. Uh, democratic school with self uh, um and some no summer hill i want to talk about um, yeah. a bit um as historically being this kind of experimental uh school and i was talking with somebody about it the other day he said their friend went this was somebody probably in their 50s and saying oh yeah my friend went there and oh my goodness he just spent the whole time like sitting up a tree he left with nothing he's really lost in the world now because he went there and i was like oh okay and then i was having a discussion again with my uh youngest child yesterday where on the side of our van it says teaching children not curriculums which I've always had a slight problem with because it's not grama- grammatically accurate yeah, as a yeah, yeah. English <laughs> teacher but never mind. Um uh, and we came up that quite a long time ago didn't we Liz? anyway so she was asking me what curriculums were and so I curricula um what a curriculum is and I explained to her what it was and then talked about forest school and talked about you know the difference between Uh, learning with the curriculum and learning in a self-directed type of way and uh, and then we got in the car and we're listening to The Chronicles of Narnia at the moment and you know loads of people have got issues with C.S. Lewis and as I you know I read the books when I was younger and watched the BBC adaptations and loved it and it's just like great stories isn't it great storytelling yeah, they are, And then yeah. we were at the silver chair and literally having just finished that conversation uh, we put the silver chair on and the character of Eustace goes oh I'm really annoyed that it's the end of the summer holidays obviously in more old-fashioned language <laughs> I don't think he said I'm really annoyed. Um, yeah. What a whatever you know, what a what a drag. Um there's the end of some days and I have to go back to school and Lucy and Evans say, Oh I thought you liked school. And he goes, well, I thought I did until spending time with you. Uh, they call it the experiment house. And I wanted to go there because I thought it meant that we did lots of experiments with Bunsen burners. But it turns out that we're the experiment and we can do what we like and children, uh, decide what they learn and decide what they do. And it turns out that mostly what they want to do is bully each other and I was like right CS Lewis okay this is not your personal opinion much and I was like I bet he's talking about Summerhill
2: you know he's talking about yeah. this wow um,
3: I know it's so it's so weird
0: I it don't remember timely... I've read it
2: but it was a long time I was a child when I read it so I don't remember but yeah. wow there's quite a lot of like right-wing very entrenched traditional values
3: all the way through it um that I increasingly have issue with but um but yeah, but what a great opportunity
2: leads. to talk about those when you yeah. read it with children. What a great opportunity to actually say, well, you know, this is a great story, but how about this problematic bit in it? Because now
1: Completely. I've, this is what I,
2: sorry, I've, sorry, I've jumped in and interrupted no, no, you. No, no, um, no. My, uh, uh, what I've always done, so when when my eldest was really little, I used to change the books to make them less problematic. yeah, And like remove words and change words and try and make them more inclusive. um, But I suddenly was like, "Hang on, I'm doing the wrong thing here. I'm missing a trick. I'm missing this opportunity here." And so I changed and I swapped to pointing out how it was problematic to my eldest. And now she's reading books and she'll be like, "That's a bit sexist," yeah. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is amazing because she's noticing it and she's using critical thinking, which is way more valuable than pretending it doesn't exist.
3: Absolutely, yeah. And we do exactly the same thing. And there's loads in the Narnia books to talk about, um, you know, to just pause it and go, "Oh, what do you think about that?" They keep telling Lucy to like. Stay behind and be looked after and not go and explore the potentially dangerous situation and that someone will stay behind and guard her like what do you think about that you know and they will yeah. go oh that's a bit yeah that's a bit sexist how come you know she has to stay behind just because she's a girl and all this kind of stuff so um yeah i completely agree with you um do you think what would you kind of say if people Perhaps did have that kind of uh, vision of self-directed education or socio education, where, like C.S. Lewis, they might go, "Hmm, that's all very well, but what about situations?" Because I've heard that said about Steiner education as well. That actually, children of people that I know have said, or oh, they haven't had a great experience because they had some potentially quite violent experiences, or you know, they got hurt, or they found this quite sort of um, challenging." Um, but yeah, what would you say to kind of Go on. right okay she rubs her hand, like your
2: hands together like that i love this okay. question okay. Uh, so in terms of whether people do what the people do after democratic education I suppose I'd say in response well there's a lot of people who leave mainstream school with not very much as well I think mainstream school fails a lot of people too so to take one example and say well actually this doesn't work is, is not really fair you have to take an aggregate anecdote isn't evidence so um, there's a book by um, someone who lives in Bristol actually I'm just going to go it's right in here so I'm going to go and grab it and um, It's written by the charming Hussein Lucas, um, who's been really supportive of the garden. It's called After Summerhill. And it's looking at lots of people who went to Summerhill and what they did afterwards. I think I read about that in The Guardian
3: or another paper. Yeah, quite possibly. Blurb about it, yeah.
2: Um, And what it shows is that actually people go on to do all kinds of different things and not everyone is super successful and yes some people probably are a bit lost but you know I don't think anyone's saying that democratic or sociocratic or self directed education is some kind of magic bullet to fix all of society's ills although it might be (laughs) 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 if it's done right (laughs) but um you know, so you, you wouldn't expect necessarily everybody to go on and be fantastically, you know, you, you know, not everyone who leaves here is going to be some, yeah,
1: fantastically successful person. But the, same is true but the point of, is, is
2: that you, sorry, say that again.
1: The same is true of mainstream school, isn't it? If you said yeah. everybody that goes to a mainstream school is going to be a massive success, you would get laughed out of wherever you said that. It's not, yeah. But it's not built to do that
2: no it isn't it isn't and also you want to look at what success means and what that means to individuals and what it means to society um uh, there's some research that's been done on the self-managed learning college in sussex which is a fantastic project um they they've had some research done on what what people do after them and i, I think they there's something like um, every single person young person who's left and they've been going for 20 years so they've got a lot of data um like everyone's gone on to either further education or, or an apprenticeship or employment, like it's, you know, or set up their own business basically. They, you know, and what mainstream school can say that? What mainstream secondary school can say that? Like it's, that's mm. none. Um, and unless it's a private school, maybe. Um, so, and also there is a thing around, I don't know. I, I don't doubt that fewer middle-class kids will go to university with this system of education. But I think maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe there's some middle-class kids who are going because they don't know what else to do and it's just expected of them. And maybe they'd be happier with an apprenticeship or they'd be happier doing a trade or being an artist. And, you know, there's, I don't know, there's, I feel like it's better to own your mistakes than, you know, be successful on someone else's terms. So I don't know. I'm, I, yeah. Uh, In terms of the experience when they're there, I think unless the space is held... I think you are just replicating some of the problems in society. So one of the reasons why we are unconditional is specifically to avoid situations where people do have those, feel unsupported, basically. Um, and I want to be careful because I actually am, I'm, I love Sun Hill and I'm a really big fan of a lot of what they do. Um, and I don't want to kind of say that they're doing the wrong thing. And also because I don't know how they might have changed and implemented things, and, you know. But I, I do know that... Um, If you don't hold the space and actively try to challenge the societal um, way of dealing with conflict in a manipulative and judgmental way, you're just going to replicate that. And when you have things like judicial committees that punish people, which you do in democratic schools sometimes, um, it is just replicating that judgmental um, and hierarchical, because hierarchy is really key here as well. You're just replicating... Those social functions and I, I, I think that's not I don't know it it's just one way of doing things and it is the norm in our society and I think there's a better way of doing it which is why we do things at the garden but we also don't coercion is a really it's a really important point here because we don't want to be kind of saying you have to do this or you can't do this and so if someone um if we we're doing conflict resolution and someone said I want this other person to be punished which it hasn't actually ever come up to be honest um rather than saying well you can't do that we you know uh we'd probably just want to talk about it more and about you know talk through the nature of punishment and you know and whether that works and whether it doesn't but it yeah it's it's interesting
1: i can see. Um, I can dispel, um, dispel any notions of food revenge if you mentioned it and you got met with lots of talking and lots of i feel like i would lose interest in any sort of revenge i'd just be like do you know what leave it i'm not even bothered yeah. anymore yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah no yeah exactly yeah and so yeah precisely so i'm really glad that like, no one ever has said like i want punishment that's what i want from this this is how i'm going to resolve this is if this other person is punished um because god it would be it'd be really tricky but we find that like young people don't generally they don't even want a sorry most of the time. Mm. They're not even interested in a sorry. What they want is usually, more often than anything else, they want to be heard. They want their feeling. They want to be able to express their feelings about what happened and to be heard and understood more than anything else. Um, and sometimes they want a commitment for uh, for something to happen so the situation doesn't happen again. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, almost never want a sorry. Because yeah. it's kind of meaningless, yeah. really, isn't it?
1: I wonder if I could put your Just, this is... Uh, on a completely personal thing I'm very interested in the moment at the moment in um, false memories and particularly false memories that are attached to emotional situations Um, and uh, I've noticed it recently with a couple of learners and then if I look back I can notice it in more Um, and that idea of like uh, so Gemma and I sometimes try and practice um, non-violent communication you know Marshall Rosenberg thing of going Mm -hmm. I can see you're feeling this and this is this and also we mix in a bit of the stuff from whole brain child of um, getting a whole narrative going through so that you get to the like, oh yes. And then do you remember- Whole, brain, whole... whole brain child,
2: whole brain child. Um, I'm just going to grab a pen you. and write that down. She's
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go just gone. Run to get a pen.
2: <laughs> I
3: can
1: see oh, something. How about you, Jenna?
3: I'm fine, I'm just admiring Artemis' uh, slippers by the door
2: that look like huge bear paws with claws. Oh, that's my partner's slippers, actually. They are my slippers are... my. Th- now you've mentioned slippers. Hang on a minute. Hang on. Like, what are you... <laughs> no, no, no. No, no,
1: no.
2: My slippers, my slippers, which actually need fixing at the moment, which is why they're here, are fox slippers.
1: Oh, they are <laughs>
2: <incredible>. tail, <laughs> with a tail going up the heel, that
3: is
1: incredible. That's amazing. Sorry, where were we?
2: Whole brain, whole brain child Sorry, I need yes. to write this down because yes. I, I ha- Um, incredible. our resolution was based on nonviolent communication originally, but we've we've adapted it. Um, so whole brain child,
3: I so haven't heard of. Whole
1: brain child, is, um, and
2: I, I
3: forget and Tanya Payne Bryson. If I got that right, I'll be amazing. Bryson Payne, I think. Bryson Payne. But anyway.
1: And they have written a few books, and it's a lot about um, neuroscience and kind of left brain, right brain, bringing that stuff together. And one of their things is about finishing the narrative, so getting through um, past the like. Children will tell you, I fell over and I hurt my knee, for example. Um, and if you help them by going, Oh yeah, and then who came and who came and looked, checked if you're okay? Oh, Sophie came and checked if I was okay. Oh, and then what happened? Oh, and then you looked after me. And so when they then have any memory of it they get the memory of the whole thing rather than getting stuck at okay. the difficult bit. Um, yeah. And that, that can happen on a long term for like big trauma things, um, like catastrophic life events, or it might be an incident that happened in a play play cycle. Um, but what I'm interested in is this kind of false memory thing where um, either immediately or afterwards, learners will justify their own actions with part of a narrative that, you as an observer, no, didn't happen. So you might watch someone and they go, "Well, I was walking along and I threw my stick completely accidentally, and then uh, like I dropped it on the floor, and then for no reason, uh, a Millie came up and twatted me in the back of the head." And as an observer, you want to go, "Well, I that's not actually what I saw. What I saw was you kind of look at her, Millie, you followed her for a bit, then you threw your stick at the back of her. Do you know what I mean? You go." your recollection of it isn't accurate and so if you but then you don't want to just undermine someone who's upset and go what you're remembering is wrong you know um, but then i'm wondering how if you meet that with something democratic where you're going okay well let's discuss the incident do the children fact check each other or do you have to find someone impartial who can go well my account of it is this and my account of it is this
0: Support the podcast today by becoming a Patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details.
2: Yes, so um, our conflict resolution process um, is was originally based on nonviolent communication and then we've tried to adapt it because we found that it wasn't accounting for power dynamics, so it was a very able to be manipulated. For people who were very linguistically skilled, very articulate people were able to kind of manipulate the process and get the upper hand. Right. Um, so now we've sort of tried to incorporate power dynamics into it to make it a bit more, a bit more. Um, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing process. Really, it's not. It's not perfect, but it's a bit better than it was. Um, and we start so the first thing to do. It's a really simple, quick method. Um, Theoretically quick, not actually quick in practice. (laughs) Um, And the first step is to establish what happened. And uh, Mm. how that's done is asking everybody in turn who saw what happened to say, and nobody's allowed to interrupt each other. Um, uh, And that can include adults. So if there's an adult who's seen what happened, then you know we can say. um, It's really important to remain impartial, so we're not allowed to put any sort of judgment on what happened it's all just literally this is what I this is what I saw um without any kind of you know telling other people what yeah what yeah which is hard really really hard sometimes mm-hmm. because sometimes sometimes young people are jerks and <laughs> <Aren't> we all <laughs> yeah well, yeah exactly yeah for sure uh, uh yeah false mummies is an interesting one we have come across that before um mainly with um children who likely are neurodivergent um mm-hmm. who like to go off on wild tangents to sort of avoid resolving the conflict uh these sort of uh mm-hmm. an echolalia sort of repeating other people's stories as if they're their own and, but also like as a way to avoid resolving the conflict mm-hmm. um i mean that just hands is it a false memory do they really believe that's what's happened or are they just lying to try and get out of it do you really think it's a false memory rather than just oh no actually um
3: yeah and it's very interesting when um the stories or the the memories or the recollections of events are uh, intermingled with feelings of physical pain because that can cloud lots of things can't it so yeah. um or the other way around where sometimes a sort of verbal conflict is felt physically by somebody so yeah. they will say
0: They really hurt
3: me. They really hurt me. Actually, there was no physical hurt that happened, but they are translating that as a physical hurt, you know?
2: Um, Yeah, for
3: sure. Or they they tripped over and they tripped over a table leg, but then the story becomes so and so pushed me into the table when actually Mm -hmm. it was a complete accident. And that's really fascinating about what's happening in the brain there and how um, it kind of links to how the brain makes, invents stories to explain the world. It's
1: something about protecting the ego, isn't it, of going, yeah. you can either acknowledge a, a mistake or a shortcoming or even an accident or your brain offers you this other scenario of, of going, would well, you think someone might have pushed you? And the brain kind of goes, Yep, yeah, that's probably what happened. That's easier to digest. I'm, I'm going to go with that one.
3: Yeah, um. <laughs> but I quite like that idea of going round um, and each person kind of telling what they saw, because that may help that young person. If, you know, if it was just us as an adult going, no, no, that didn't happen. I saw this. Then, as you say about that power dynamics and that young person might feel, you know, especially if they genuinely do believe that such a thing happened and you saw that it didn't, um, they might feel quite sort of persecuted and singled out by you as an adult going, no, that's not true. Whereas if it's coming from everybody in a kind of non-judgmental way, which is a challenging thing to do isn't it like Mm. as you as you described to try and get that to be spoken quite in a quite a level and neutral way rather than
0: no you liar that didn't happen because blah blah
3: blah you know to try and get rid of that whoa that's a challenge
1: which you can Um, do yourself as an adult when you retell but it's really difficult to impart on then a group of children say when you retell can you retell it in this way you know that's an extra layer of challenge on top of them remembering and on top of the social power dynamics that are going on between, you know.
2: Can I, can I ask a bit more about your project actually? Like, is it, um, is it the same, the same young people that come, um, like a few days a week? Is that right? Yeah. 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 So it's
3: two days a week at the moment, um, for either home educated or, um, children who are flexi schooling. Um, and it's, mostly the same children who are there both days there are a couple that come just one day a week um and lots of them we've known for a long time because we also run parent and toddler groups so some of our young people have started with us when they were sort of 18 months old and then they graduate and that's why a lot of them um have sort of investigated the flexi schooling route because they've gone I don't want my child to miss out on the forest so they're gonna still come to you one day a week and they've arranged that agreement with school Um, yeah so we've got Um, maximum 15 children at the moment in the group same as you yeah and it's us two running it occasionally we have had a third person if we've needed to because of additional needs that are going on in the group Um, but at the moment it's um just the two of us and yeah some of those young people have been coming for a long time now like i think our longest home ed kids have come for yeah three years three and a half years so yeah, some of them are sort of growing together and it's really interesting to kind of see that journey for them and see the group evolve. And
1: yeah, we always talk about, lovely. it's kind of similar, uh, I suppose, I don't know if you would have similar things, but like when you reflect on like a practice, so like you were saying the conflict resolution thing wasn't working because it was able to be manipulated. And um, when you, it's almost one of the benefits I used to think of school teaching was that if I realised something wasn't working, in September I could pretend that had never been the system and you can completely go oh no 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 that's never a thing we've done now um but when you've got learners that are coming over you never get that like which in some ways Mm -hmm. is great because you get that shared learning that shared experience and in other ways there's times we go I wish we could just go right this is this is the this has always been the routine for these learners um because if so like if something's uh so there have been times for whatever reason that we might have let reflections at the end of the day slip because there've been needs or the play schemes at the end of the day are quite thick and sometimes Joe and i reflect back on each other and go do you know what we've actually let the reflections at the end go we need to kind of bring them back because we know they're beneficial and valuable yeah. but then you start to, you go if it was a new set of learners you could go right well we'll just let this group just trail off and when the new lot come in we'll will go half past two is always reflection but you can't do that with a group of learners that are coming over a long period of time because you get to half past two and you go right reflection time and they go what are you on about that's not a thing we do and it's
2: yeah I mean I guess my lot the poor things are just so used to me changing everything all the time but I feel that that makes them more resilient and adaptable, yeah. maybe. I'm like, because yeah. we explicitly sort of trying to take a more scientific approach. So um, a lot of alternative education, it, it can be quite dogmatic and dare I say cultish. And uh, it's something that I was really keen to not fall into that trap. And even ones that say, oh, we're not dogmatic. Uh, but are you, though? Are you actively seeking out where you can do things better all the time? Like, are you actively saying, actually, does the evidence still support what we do? Is there any more evidence? Um, what about the community? What about how the community interacts with what we do? Is that working for this particular community? Is there a way we can, like, You, ha- it has to be constantly asking those questions about how you can be better, uh, which is, like, yeah, more of a sort of a scientific approach, I guess. Um, and I think when you have that, that thing of, like, there is no set way of anything that we do, we can always change and adapt, depending mm-hmm. on information we have whether that's comes from within the community or outside of it you know i think that's actually builds a lot of resilience both for the individuals but also for the project itself
3: yeah and i think that's really interesting as well to um to voice those uh Personal reflections and say to the group, we've realised that we haven't reflected for a long time and we've thought about that and we've realised that we regret that and it's a mistake and we'd like to change that. Um, and that helps with the power dynamics, as you've been saying, that we view ourselves as part of a learning community. And as you described, we don't always do things correctly all the time and yeah. um, it's our fault and we we want to rectify this and that kind of thing and discussing about why it's valuable like why are we doing yeah. this anyway that's really valuable isn't it to actually yeah, rather totally. than just go this is the routine and we always do it to go this is a routine we think is worth keeping um and this is why discuss
0: yeah
2: sure and that are modeling reflection you're modeling that you know that constantly questioning what you're doing and saying is this still okay for us is this, is this still working for us i think that's so powerful
0: mm-hmm.
2: and there was something so there's something i wanted. to um I, I want to get back to this sort of false memory thing so i'm really fascinated by the situation you described to me um when we first started we were supported by two groups that don't happen anymore called one was a place to grow in stroud and the other one was the greenhouse near bath the, the greenhouse is starting <laughs> up again Yay.
3: oh I think I've met somebody who was involved with that at a storytelling course oh That's cool. cool
2: yeah yeah no and and we they gave us they generously gave us so much advice and support when we were setting up and it was amazing and there's this incredible guy called Albert Lamb who maybe you should get on the podcast sometime he's he's he went to Summerhill mm-hmm and uh, he was uh, a mentor at A Place to Grow and has always got, you, you know, he, I think he's in his 70s and he's got so much experience of democratic education. And what he said to us was um, that to have a solid community, um, the minimum is like three days. It has to be the same people for three days consecutive, and they have to be consecutive days. And um, so without that, like it's really hard to build up um, that kind of solid sense of community that you need um so that they really trust in your system and so they know that that's really gonna the things that you say are gonna happen are gonna happen and they they trust that everyone's on the same page um and it's it's I wasn't too sure about that wasn't when he first told me this I wasn't that convinced um but I thought well let's give it a go and see if it really is necessary but actually having now run the garden I'm, I'm I've become convinced that that is the case because we've tried allowing certain people with specific needs to come less than three days a week and they just haven't felt part of the community they they have really there's been a really noticeable difference in how engaged they are in all of our processes and with each other and I so I now I'm sort of a convert to that idea that actually three days there is something about three days as a minimum um I uh, think about
1: dropping in and out of any community group that you know whether that's dropping in and out over a day you know we've had ex- experiments ourselves or we had children that we went oh well the group runs all day but if you want to come at lunchtime that's great and then after a while you go Mm. oh okay this doesn't this doesn't work um you're just you're not at the same energy level you haven't got the experiences that they have in the morning you know um i think and the rest of the
3: the group in the morning were sorry to interrupt they were like waiting for this person to arrive so they weren't settling and it was yeah it was Mm. not yeah exactly yeah so
2: uh, and the other thing that he said to me that was really great advice which is um When you don't have very much structure, when there is very little of it, what you do have becomes really important. And I think that's true as well. So really putting a lot of emphasis and time and energy and, and also sometimes like, sorry, guys, this is this is what we need to do. These are the systems that we need to have in place so we don't have to have like manipulative behavior management so nobody gets told off you know we have to have another way to resolve problems so I'm afraid this is this is what we've got we're we're always opening open to being challenged on it and trying to improve it for sure but for the moment this is what this is what we've got and so we do say this is the price of admission you know you engage with the meetings you engage with the conflict resolution that's 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 how it goes
3: yeah that makes sense
1: yeah did you sorry did you want to ask me about false memories was that tied up in it oh
2: no sorry I just like because I've we don't we don't tend to get that a lot and I find that really interesting um and I think it's partly partly because lying is sort of a bit taboo at the garden and that's not something that we have explicitly encouraged it has just like the community if someone is perceived to be lying in a conflict resolution so if there's like a people having different opinions about what happened it's sort of a bit Mm. you know people are really shocked we have sometimes the only time we've really had emergency meetings is when we can't get to the facts of what's happened because Uh, i guess the community uh, thinks that uh, someone is lying which is which is mm. really interesting
1: that probably comes (laughs) out of like a system where if you know that uh not that nothing is punishable but you know you know that the outcomes of making a mistake are are not that you're gonna be chewed out and reprimanded and doing whatever, then it does empower everybody to own every, there's almost less reason to lie um, because you, and this is why I think it was interesting was um, one example that was quite recent was um, there wasn't a big group of children watching. It was myself and two children and one of the children uh, was unhappy with the result of something um, but he flipped it on to me and the false memory became about me and what I had done and what I had said earlier in the day um, and all these really interesting kind of things came out and I was going because I was doing something else at the same time I was giving him some space and going okay you, you are you happy here?" I was like, yeah I'm just you know upset but but staying in one place and I would every time I would go back there was more he had he had I'm gonna I'm using air quotes people can't see he had remembered more reasons that backed up why he was in the right and why I had done things wrong um which was just very interesting to kind of navigate myself because there wasn't anybody else to pull in and go okay well I I don't know that that happened or well let's ask someone so-and-so because they were there um and I do think it was just this kind of self-preservation. How do I make myself feel okay about what's happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it must. It must be someone else was at fault. Um, As I'm aware that we've taken up far more of your time than we asked for. Um, is there anything
2: no it's fine i love it <laughs> this is my favorite talking about education is my is literally my favorite thing my poor children if anyone ever asked me about education when we're out and about together they they do they just they roll their eyes now because they're just like oh
1: we're going to yeah. be here forever this is why i yeah. can't go to toddler groups with my own two young children is anything that comes up about pedagogy or school or whatever else and i'm like well mm. I've read a lot of books and let me tell you yeah can you imagine
2: was, what I was like on the PGCE can you imagine oh my <laughs> yes my, my proudest moment was when one of my uh one of my classmates said Artemis I love the look of fear in the lecturer's eyes whenever you raise your hand <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it's I mean similar the last teaching job I had um which I left after only a year um it was not the successful experience um my uh, head department gave a leading speech for me and the only thing that they could say was yeah I mean if you want to laugh just get general education and just watch how angry she gets okay bye bye good luck in whatever you do I was like thanks dude thanks (laughs) that's That's what I'll be remembered for just like ranting at people
2: (laughs) I would definitely take those
3: yeah
1: Normally yeah. this is a podcast, it's actually a support group that we, <laughs> people in. We, all, we all vent and then we all feel a lot better. It's great. Mm-hmm.
3: So for people who are listening, Artemis, is there um, a place where they can kind of catch up with uh, your thoughts and your projects and that kind of thing? Where can people find out about your work? Well,
2: We've got a website, which is thegardenbristol.org. Um we have a Facebook page as well. So if you just search for the garden in Bristol that should come up um, we do have a Twitter but I'm not gonna you know, it's weird. I, I'm a bit rubbish with Twitter so I'm, it's probably not much point Um, Oh, where else Um, I, I've written one medium article. Yeah i probably should write some more but yeah you know, do it a thing.
1: and you are Bis- yeah, yeah. Br- bristol based right if there is anybody listening who's in that area and has home educating children
2: i just pop round. just come for a cuppa <laughs> <laughs> my door is, al- is 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 quite literally almost always open
1: right thank oh, you so much cool. for your time Artemis. yeah
3: thank you Artemis. great to speak to you oh
2: you too. thanks both i've had mm-hmm.
1: a lovely
2: time uh, let's do this again
1: yeah
2: yeah Cool.
1: <laughs> okay cheers Bye.
0: Bye. if you like this podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through Patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast